So this is the part of the service where we open the Bible and we, we ask God, what do you want to speak to me about this morning? What are you wanting to, what situation are you wanting to highlight? What are you uh, wanting to change? What are you wanting to stop? What are you wanting to start? And uh, we're picking up in our series in Corinthians. So we've been doing that the past wee while. Uh, it's going to be a bit of jumping back and forth in terms of the chapters you've been looking at, uh, I'm sure. But just to give you a wee bit of background, we have Paul who uh, wrote this letter and he started the church in Corinth uh, and he has left it to a guy called Apollos. So he's left it to this guy called Apollos and now Paul is writing in response uh, to issues that they have mentioned that they're needing help and advice. So basically they've said we're needing help and advice on certain things and Paul's writing in response to this. So already, we're looking at chapter 5, but already Paul before then, he's addressed concerns of unity. So he's, he's spoken a little bit about that. He's spoken a little bit about the role of the Holy Spirit. He's spoken about how they view leadership. And he's spoken about their, their view of Jesus. So how they, they view Jesus, to name but a few. So they're big questions. And if, if you look throughout the letter, there's, there's a couple of big questions that come out of it. And one of the main things I think in it is that, how is what you believe changing how you live? It's a massive question, isn't it? How is what you believe changing how you live? How is being a Christian and accepting Jesus and, and accepting him into your life, how's that impacting when we're outside of here eh, on our Monday to Saturday? How is it changing you? How is it changing others that you're in contact with? And... Eh, Paul views that the church in Corinth can't respond to that question. They don't know what to say. They're, really, they're not really doing that at all. They're not changing at all. They're not changing from the inside out. And then we reach chapter 5, which we're going to read a couple of verses. And this is concerning immorality. And in particular, it's looking at sexual immorality. And this is what we're, we're delving into this morning. And we learn from commentators that sexual immorality in Corinth was a massive deal. It was a massive issue in, in this church at that time. So just to give you a bit of context in terms of the chapter, because uh, we're only going to focus in on two or three verses this morning. The verses directly before, they detail Paul uh, calling out a major case of immorality uh, within the church, where a man has been sleeping with his father's wife, uh, which is his stepmother that most commentators uh, agree with. And he details the steps to take, and later in 2 Corinthians, he details the steps to reintegrate that person uh, back into the church. So when you read in verse 5, if, you, if you've been cheeky and you read the verses just before that we're going to look at, there's a, a verse in verse 5 that says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And you think, gosh, wow, <laughs> that's, that's quite harsh, isn't it? But it's not left high and dry. Uh, Paul is in that action of trusting the sovereignty of God, that in doing that, God is still above the enemy in that, and that in time, repentance will come, and that the heart of that person, in the heart of that person, repentance will come as they spend time alone. But also to, yeah, just to reinforce that God is more powerful, more uh, just in control than the enemy is, and has a plan. So when he's saying that, when Paul details that in that verse, He's saying it with God's power still operating, God's presence still there, and uh, with the intention of reintegration and forgiveness. And you can read that in your own time in 2 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 5 onwards, where it speaks about that. But that's not where we're going this morning. The main thing today I want to speak about is uh, Paul is concerned with the pursuit of purity. That's what he's concerned with 
in this couple of verses. How are we pursuing a pure heart? How are we pursuing a pure mind? How are we pursuing a pure body? That sexual sin was a massive uh, part in the enemy's armor, and it needed to be addressed correctly and justly, and awareness was needed. So I want to look at our own pursuit of purity this morning, and for all of us just to ask that question in our own lives. That the area of sexual sin is the very area that we box up, that we pack down, that we padlock, we put it in another box and another box, then we dig the biggest hole and we put it back down, we stamp on it a bit. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be bound by that. I was really struck by, struck by the verses in John 10, verse 10, where it says, I come that you may have life. That's what Jesus is saying this morning. And that's what he's saying in terms of the area of any kind of sin, and in particular, sexual sin. And this stuff is important. It's important. It's important not to gloss over it, uh, over these passages, but to examine our hearts before God and just to ask, will you just move Holy Spirit in all areas of our lives? We don't want to have a box that we keep in a big padlock that we dig in a big hole. We want to say, will you just move in all areas of our lives? Anything that we've boxed up, will you just, will you just unpack that? So let's read. And I'm going to ask Libby, as if you're not doing enough, would you like to be our Bible distributor? Let's have a cheer. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and Libby will get one out to you. And if you don't have one at home, we'd love you to take that Bible home as well. And in these Bibles, it's in page 1147, and it should come up on the screen as well. There we go. All right, so just a couple of verses. Excellent. Just starting from verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So just a short couple of verses this morning. And the first verses, of Paul's, the first words that Paul says in that, in that passage are not positive. He's saying that they're boasting, that they were proud of their attitude and when we look further, that we see the believers in Corinth, they're in a mindset where they're living in sin. They're living in sin, and they're boasting in spite of this. There's no repentance there from these people, and they're missing out on the amazing work that Jesus wants to do from the very depths of their souls. Paul wants to tell them, it does matter. It does matter. And I think the more I, I read that passage, the whole of the chapter, the whole of Paul's letter, he's gutted. He's gutted with the church in Corinth, because they're missing out. They're missing out. Don't miss out this morning. If you call yourself a Christian, don't be a spectator. The great thing about being a, a Christian is that, as John Wimber says, everybody gets to play. You get to step onto the pitch this morning. Not one of you are left out. So there's three things I want to highlight this morning. I want to highlight that firstly, a little can affect a lot. A little can affect a lot. Secondly, Paul speaks about the importance of out with the old and in with the new. And then thirdly, that we live a life from a posture of pursuit. So firstly, we let, uh, oh, I got confused there. Can we have a first bit up? A little can affect a lot. This phrase means a lot of different things for me. 
For example, a little sun can cause a lot of sunburn for me. There's literally, and this is in Scottish weather that we're talking, there's about two months that I don't get sunburn in, and that's probably December and January. Anything over 12 degrees, and I'm slightly pinkish uh, when I get home, which is very embarrassing. We once went to Tunisia, but I'll gloss over that in terms of uh, I was literally in the hotel the whole time, but never mind. A little coffee can keep me awake for a long time. So if you ever come to the evening service, kind of moderate your coffee because I get home and I'm just mega excited. I'm like, Mary, let's just play a game or something. Let's watch Sally. She's like, quiet, quiet. I'm eyes open, wide open, just looking at the ceiling, just thinking of things I can do, where I can go, what our money situation is, just loads of stuff. A little spider, and I could, oh man, spiders, don't even go there. A little spider, and I, I, if I seen one here, some, Libby, you'd have to get up and just rock a talk. Yeah, yeah you just. But also, a little word said the wrong way can have me worrying and overthinking. A little argument between me and Mary can fester and become bigger and add to other stuff if we don't address it. Sometimes a, a little can affect a lot with massive consequences. And there's a few stories, I had a wee look and I've done a little bit of research and there's a few fascinating stories uh, that kind of back that up. And one of them is this, on the night of July the 13th, 1977, a system operator sat in New York City in an electric facility, basically a power center that powered the whole of New York City. And then lightning struck in New York City, three strikes of lightning, and it, it nearly crippled the facility. But they had a backup, they had a backup that they could run to, and it all, involved all these switches. But the thing is, with these switches, they needed to be switched in the right order at the right time, and the guy pressed the wrong switch. He pressed the wrong switch. It wasn't very technical, but basically he, uh, he wrecked everything. And this is what happened. One, flip, one switch flipped out of order, and within a few minutes, a 230,000 volt connection with New Jersey closed, and the system began to overload. At 9.36, the whole system shut down. And this was the damage off the back of this one switch. 1,616 stores were damaged. 1,037 fires were set. 3,776 arrests were made. A, congregation, a, congrega a congressional study, I can't say that word, a study estimated the total damage to the New York area was $300 million. Wow. Another story is the Hubble Telescope. Now, I'm not much of a space geek, but the Hubble Telescope is meant to be one of NASA's best observatories in terms of seeing space and all sorts. And it was equipped with one of the most uh, high-tech mirrors ever built to reflect back images to Earth. When testing it, a microscopic chip of paint on a measuring rod was supposed to make, uh, the measuring rod was supposed to help reflect back, but basically a microscope chip of paint flicked off this measuring rod, and that meant that the mirror was slightly out of shape. The telescope was now given back false readings, and this is, this is amazing. The mirror was off by four microns. Now, does anybody know what a micron is? One person's nodding. Four microns is 25 times smaller than the width of a human hair. Wow. It cost billions of dollars to fix 
So why am I telling you this? A little can affect a lot. A little can snowball and destroy and take root, spread and impact before uh, what we think is imaginable, beyond what we think is imaginable. It can take us by surprise. It can become this monster that we don't know what to do with. I never, I don't think the man at the switch thought of the repercussions of the wrong order of when he was pressing that. Or the guy painting the measuring rod, that one crusty bit of paint, oh, I'll just leave that, it's fine. The rest of it's okay. Could cost billions of pounds. Paul says in verse 6, don't you know a little yeast leavens the whole batch of bread? Way back in the Old Testament, as the Hebrews prepared for their exodus from slavery in Egypt, they were commanded to prepare bread without yeast because they didn't have enough time to wait for it to rise. And because yeast was also a symbol of sin, they were commanded to sweep it all out of the house. And you read that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 15, and Exodus 13, verse 7. It's, it's a great picture of that, just sweeping it all out of the house. I don't want any of it in here in terms of a symbol of sin. A little can affect a lot in that Paul is warning the believers in all walks of life but in particular, the area of sexual sin, that what starts off as a little can soon affect a lot. So there, there's a question we ask ourselves off the back of that. What is the little in our lives right now? Is it our internet habits? Is it how we communicate with each other? Where are our hearts and minds? What are our motives? When we're pursuing purity, we're asking, where does our lives clash with that pursuit right now? Where we're talking about the area of sex, which is a gift and to be enjoyed within marriage, where are we manipulating it? Where are we distorting it for our own pleasure, our own quick fix, our own gain? That's just like the church in Corinth. That was their mindset. And this is a word for every single one of us. Whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're in a relationship, Jesus speaks of treasure. He speaks of treasure in the New Testament. And he speaks, what are we coveting, fixating on? What are we spending more time on than we should? That's where our hearts are. Whatever we covet, whatever we treasure, that's where our hearts are. What are we holding on to, protecting that we shouldn't? What's the warning light this morning? as I'm speaking right now, that God is highlighting, just bring it to me this morning. Just bring it to me. And I just urge us, let's just do that. Actually, why don't we just do that right now? Why don't we just close our eyes and I'll just ask God's Spirit just to come and anything, yeah. Lord, we thank you that you are here, Lord. Your Spirit is here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, Lord. And for, for some of us where there is a warning light, Lord, Will you just come into that situation, Lord? Will you give us your strength? Will you give us your boldness? Will you give us your wisdom, Father? Where currently there's something that is a little, but has the potential to be a lot and to impact a lot in a negative way, Father. Will you just put a stop to it in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. So a little affects a lot, uh, but to flip this phrase on, on its head uh, Paul, that Paul speaks about, and just so we're not doom and gloom the whole time, being all uh, negative in terms of this, it's important to remember that a little can affect a lot in a really positive way. 
as well. When I think of myself, uh, I think of a little encouraging word that can energize me, a little prayer for me can keep my focus on the things of God, a little sign of God being there w- uh, with me, whether it be just, just stuff like even the weather or I'm walking along worrying about something. I just know that God has spoken to me in a particular way and is alongside me. It could be a timely discussion. It could be a song I'm listening to. It could be a chance encounter. It could be a certain word or phrase that somebody who's speaking up here and I know exactly what God is speaking to me about when that word or that phrase, that's for me. I'll take that. A little can affect a lot. A story Jesus told when he was here on earth, which are, are known as parables in Luke 13, 20, he speaks about the kingdom of God uh, being like a, a woman who puts a little yeast in dough and this dough permeates every, uh, permeates every part of the dough and it doubles in size. A little bit of yeast. So it's taking yeast, which was previously a negative, and actually in this story, it's a positive. It permeates every part of the dough. It doubles in size and the kingdom of God is like that. And uh, there's a story of a little making a big difference as well. One day in the countryside of Scotland, uh, way back, there was a, a little boy who was stuck in a bog and his feet were stuck to his knee. It was right, the bog was right up to his knees and uh, he couldn't get out. And this nobleman found him and he's like, right, I better get him out of here. He's panicking a wee bit. He's struggling. And uh, the wee boy was screaming, I need to get out of here. So he saved him. And uh, the nobleman saved him. And the, the wee boy's dad came along. The wee boy's dad came along and said, thank you so much. And the boy's dad was a farmer. He wasn't that well off. And uh, the nobleman says, what can I do for you? Here's some money. Uh, no, the farmer said, here's some money. Uh, have I got this the wrong way around, actually? Let me just check. This is me trying to be smart and not look at my notes. Right, let me see. One day in the countryside in Scotland, a common and poor farmer was toiling in his field when suddenly he heard a cry for help. It's the other way round. Startled, he recognized someone was in trouble. I'm just going to read it now. He recognized someone was in trouble and there was a plea coming from the nearby bog. I'm now putting a bit more character into it now that I know the words. Immediately he dropped what he was doing and he ran to the source of the cry. When he located the voice for help, he stumbled upon a terrified boy. Right, we've got that bit. He was screaming, we know that. And he was going deeper and deeper into the bog. And each minute passed. The farmer, he got ropes and he saved the little boy. The next day, the nobleman came and and said, what can I do for you? What can I give you money? Can I do something for you to thank you for saving my son? And the farmer says, no, I don't want anything. And the nobleman says, well, I have a son the similar age. Why doesn't he come along to school? Why don't I school him? Why don't I sort that? Uh, So they did that. And upon leaving the farmer's man's house, he said, if if the lad is like anything like his father, he'll no doubt grow to be the man that both will be proud of. So they both went to the same schools and the, the farmer's son attended the best schools, the best schools in the world. And he eventually graduated from St. Mary's Hospital in London. And more importantly, he went on to become known throughout the world as the noted Sir Alexander Fleming, the discoverer of penicillin. Years afterwards, the same nobleman's son who was saved from the bog was stricken with pneumonia. What saved his life in this time? Penicillin. The name of the nobleman, Lord Randolph Churchill. His son's name, Sir Winston Churchill. Small things make a difference. And I got there in the end. I think that deserves a drink of water, doesn't it? Oh, dear. Dear, dear, dear. So we get the point with that. A little can affect a lot. Uh, If we could have a look at the next point. 
out of the old and in with the new, central to God's power and our belief in Him and in pursuing purity, Paul's description in verse 7, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. We are forgiven this morning. We are free from the sin that easily entangles. We are new creations. We are a new unleavened batch, which means we need to get rid. We don't bottle, we don't push down, we get rid. We place into his hands and we say, I don't want this yeast anymore. This sin part of me, this sin that's stuck on me, that I'm dragging along with me, that is affecting my plans, my decisions, my dreams, my hopes, no more. And it's so important to live that phrase out, out with the old and in with the new. Now, um, I have a particular stubbornness when it comes to doing stuff around the house in terms of chores. And sometimes it can cause a little bit of tension around the house, if truth be told. And I found shortcuts. This is how I deal with things. I find shortcuts to doing things around the home. For example, I move crumbs under the rug to avoid hoovering. It's the classic sweep, one leg. Done the hoovering? Yep. I pile my clothes into my cupboard. So some of you might like regimented, all folded. Mine's is over my cupboard. It's just a huge big pile. It's just a pile. Even now, I'm 30 years old and I still do that. Sorry, I'm not setting a good example to the young ones. Also, when I'm wa- uh, when Mary's done, put, maybe put washing the washing machine, she asked me to hang it up on the whirly gig thing. Uh, there's no kind of structure at all to it. I just kind of plonk it all on and she gets really angry with that. And also, socks. I hate pairing up socks. About 90% of the time, I have odd socks on. And actually, I'm going to do a wee test here right now. Oh, they're matching. Anyway, my theory, that's the 10% right there. And I also remember speaking in a, t- I, I, t- I'd done a talk a number of years ago where I spoke about my technique in avoiding taking the bin out. I wonder if uh, any of you can remember this. Basically, I simply use brute force uh, to crush down the bin to within an inch of its life. Uh, to avoid taking the bin out. So Mario asked me to take the bin out. I see it's at the top, and then I just put my hand down, and I crush it right down to, to right down to about it's half full. Uh, and all of a sudden, I have plenty of space, and we save taking the bin out for at least another week. And I'm thinking I should trademark a glove or something and go on to Dragon's Den, uh, but it's maybe not such a good idea. But imagine I had my rubbish bin, and instead of getting it collected, I forgot to put the bin out, and I simply moved it into a place that I wouldn't be able to see it. So I move it all into the attic. I move all my rubbish into the attic. And these, that, that isn't one of my cleaning secrets, just in case Mary ever wonders. She's never been in the attic before. I don't honestly do that. This is just for examples uh, case. But that rubbish would be gone, wouldn't it? it would, but it would stay there. But nobody else would know. None, nobody else would be none the wiser. But then I leave it there in the attic. And it's in an environment where it rots and it smells and it goes off. And it wouldn't be a pretty smell. It would fester. The smell would spread downstairs throughout the rest of the house. I would get a telling off. And then I'd make sure that I put out the bin for next time. And the bin man would take it away. Why am I telling you that particular example? Because we must take our rubbish out. We must take our rubbish out. We say it every New Year's Eve. We say it every significant life-changing moment out with the old and in with the new. But we need to say that regularly before God. Yeah, out with the old and in with the new. That I am a new creation. 
I really am a new creation. So we need to get rid of the rubbish. Stop skipping rubbish collection opportunities. Stop hiding it away till it spreads, till it becomes a, a stink. Get rid of the old yeast, that sin that nobody else maybe sees, but is consuming and restricting the way that we're living our lives, that's tearing us up because it stinks. It stinks not only us, but it stinks other people in time as well. And you might be thinking, how do I bring something like that to the light? And it might be related this morning to sexual sin. It might not. Isn't it embarrassing? Isn't it shameful? I don't know if I could speak to anyone about that. Isn't it awkward? To pursue purity, we must be allowing God to speak and to listen when he identifies a behavior in our lives that isn't right, that needs to change. And we need to make a brave call. We step out. We just go for it. If there is a chance that you could live, we could live without that niggle, without that thing that just constantly is on our shoulders, dragging us down. If there is the smallest chance we can get rid of that, let's take it. Bring it to God. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to his feet. So what does that look like practically? Uh, you maybe would speak to your site pastors, so that would be Hazel, or if you're a guy, maybe it's your small group leaders. When we speak about openness before God and we speak about finding that person to be accountable to, discussions around sex and around sexual behaviors and struggles should fall into that. So if you're feeling that there's something that needs to be addressed, please, please, please action it at the earliest opportunity. Whether it's pornography, whether it's an unhealthy obsession with certain people, whether it's your thought life, whether it's premarital sex, or any other struggles that are linked to that. Speak to the person that you're accountable to. And if you're not accountable to anyone this morning and you're thinking that could help, I, I just strongly encourage that you, you look that out today. And maybe some of us are saying this morning, oh, I don't really need to action now. It's only now and again that I, I trip up. It's only now and again that that's an issue. We are just like the church in Corinth that Paul is speaking to when we, we have that, adopt that attitude. At North, a number of people at our site in North have spoken to us about accountability and just how we should be sharing more up the front. That That is, that is a great uh, tool in terms of drawing close to God and, and, and just having someone who will ask us difficult questions. And why do we do accountability? There's a number of reasons. In Galatians 6, it speaks about carrying each other's burdens. And in James 5, it speaks about confessing sins to one another. Because even though we have church, even though we have small groups throughout the week, we need each other. People who love us and people who love Jesus to ask us the difficult questions. Because if there's an area in our lives that we're hiding or an area in our faith that we're struggling with, that person can be told in trust and can be told in good faith and can journey with us in it. Next time we meet, can you just ask me this, please? You can agree on actions to take and you can agree on what you're going to be asked. What have you watched on the internet? What's your thought life been like? How have you managed your money? What have you been reading? What have you been watching? What have you been listening to? Did you do what we said last week? We want to be more like Jesus. And we all need people in our lives that remind us 
that the enemy likes to attack, still likes to attack. And together we identify what are those areas of risk? What are those areas of weakness? And we ask Jesus, will you just protect us? Will you just protect And it's not all just about a talk. It's not all about talk. This is very important when it comes to accountability and when we share with people what we're struggling with. It's not all about that we just speak to people. It's about allowing the power of God into situations. Talking isn't enough. I'm really struck by the verse in the chapter before in 1 Corinthians 4.20. It says, the kingdom of God isn't about talk. It's about power. I love that verse. And if my wife would let me get another tattoo, I would have got it on my other arm. Uh, This was, yeah, never mind. She wasn't too happy. Let's put it that way. And I think she would kill me if it was normal. But if I was allowed another tattoo, I would have. Kingdom of God isn't about talk. It's about power. We can't do it ourselves. Accountability isn't therapy. It's asking God, all powerful, all majestic and loving, will you just take the bad stuff out? Will you bind us up? You can have great chat, you can have great coffees, great pan of chocolates, great actions in place, but unless you invite the power of God into that situation, the old will remain. We'll get a chance every week at City Church, we have a chance to invite the power of God. So we're going to do that after I, start, after I stop yapping. And just encourage you to, to be open to that. It's not about talk, it's about the power of God. Present your mind, your body, and your heart before God and just declare, I want to pursue purity this morning. So out with the old and in with the new. Make that daily decision. Pray into that in your time with God. No more being defined and held back and shaped by the past, but pushing forward in newness in mind, newness of heart that Jesus surrendered his life to give us. That's grace. That's radical. That's something that shapes us daily. And to rejoice in that, to rejoice in that, to worship in the light of that, to party in the light of that. There should be a joy in that, that we are free because of Jesus, not holding back. Where does that joy live in our lives right now? That promise. And for me, that's a struggle to remember and to dwell on when when life's tough. When life's tough. We must pour it all out in worship. We must be desperate and hungry in the desert and in the streams of living water. So let's do that together. So out of the old and in with the new. And then just to close up, to live a life of pursuit. Live and breathe a posture of pursuit. Which this leads in from the last wee bit that I've said. Paul said in verse 8, let's keep the festival, not of the old bread, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. In the message version, it speaks of simplicity genuineness and unpretentiousness. It's important that we realize this morning that we get it wrong, that we get it wrong, whether it be sexual sin or any other sin. We all sin, but we're living in Christ, which means that it's no longer I that liveth. So the sinner Thomas is no more in God's eyes. But in walking with Christ, I'm being transformed, I'm being reshaped, I'm being recalibrated. My heart is changing. My mind is being transformed. There is areas that I've triumphed over in my life that I could share. There is areas that I still struggle with, but I'm not to be held back by them or accept them. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'll muck up again. I know I'm not perfect, 
but I'm pursuing the truth. That's the key. The church in Corinth, they were thinking, oh, well, all this sexy sex stuff, (laughs) it's just happening. It's fine. We know Jesus. We believe all the stuff. We'll be okay. No, we must be bringing it to God. I'd seen this quote, which I absolutely love. The enemy knows our name, but calls us by our sin. God knows our sin, but he calls us by our name. I love that. I'm just going to say that again. The enemy knows our name and calls us by our sin. God knows our sin, but calls us by our name. He calls us by our name this morning. And the first words in that verse is uh, sincerity is translated as allowing the light of the sun to shine on and test our motives as well as our behavior. Test our motives. Are my motives are, are correct? Are they correct in conversing and spending time with certain people, communicating, asking ourselves continually, is this good? Is this situation I'm in right now good? And this word, the Greek word, excuse my pronunciation for any Greek scholars who are listening to me, alkrinia, this means it's not focused on our perfection, it's not focused on our sinlessness, but it's focused on our openness and honesty. So it's wanting God to expose areas of darkness in our lives so that we come closer to him. That's a brave thing to do, isn't it? That when we live and breathe a posture of pursuit, we pray the kind of prayers that say, Lord, will you expose areas of darkness in my life? That's That's a big prayer, isn't it? Will you expose areas of darkness in my life? What a prayer. That is the pursuit of purity that we pray those kind of prayers regularly and daily. And that's a courageous kind of prayer. You can just imagine God when we offer those prayers up. Yes, yes, I'll do that and I'll help you along with that. And we can get rid of that. When I think of pursuit, uh, one thing comes to mind and it's James Bond movies. Have we got any Bond fans here? Yes. There's one particular movie, Skyfall. There's a motorbike chase. There's a motorbike chase on a rooftop. Come on. A motorbike chase on a rooftop. Bond is 100% concentrated to pursue and complete his mission. You can tell whenever it pans to Daniel Craig's eyes, he's focused. He's on it. Nothing or no one will get in his way. He takes risks. He travels through the unexpected. Hence why he's on a motorbike on a rooftop. But you know in his eyes that he's focused. I think secretly, because I get really excited about this, that I want to be James Bond. I think that is something that I've come to accept. But I want that with the things of God. I want that single-mindedness. I want that James Bond focus when it comes to God. And in that scene, there's a particular tense moment uh, when M says, and I'm going to put on my, my M accent here, you know what is at stake here, James? That was quite good, wasn't it? <laughs> You know what is at stake here, James. And we carry the same. We need to know what is at stake. Firstly, we have our own lives. To be lived clear of sexual sin, any other kind of sin, or to be held back and weighed down. To be lived racked with the things of the past, or pushing on, holding on to the truth, knowing that we're forgiven, and we don't need to look back. To be loved free and to be used by God in whatever way he wants. So that's at stake. And then secondly, we have our friends. 
We have people that we know and love that are around our lives. That's what's at stake. People who don't know Jesus, who carry that weight day in, day out. And we, all of us, are the light that Jesus has called to show them they don't need to do that anymore. They don't need to to be racked by that anymore. And we have the eternal destiny of our streets, of our neighbors, of our towns, of our nation, of our land. That when we steer clear of all the rubbish, the smelly rubbish that the enemy wants to drag us down with, that we shine collectively and people see that and people are drawn to that. And God's spirit works in amazing ways and we see things happen that shouldn't happen. And we rejoice in that. And then we go out and we do the same again. So pursuing purity in the life of a Christian isn't easy, but it is so, so worth it. Why don't we stand?